Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the June 3rd, 2019 edition of IMRU Radio Magazine. The world's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show, but now proudly including the queer and intersex communities in our mission statement. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Wenzel Jones. Tonight, Vosh Bodhi debuts another red carpet interview from the recent Tribeca Film Festival in New York City. And after the break, we encore our interview with writer-producer Florian Klein, a.k.a. adult film actor Hans Berlin, who opened his new musical set in the world of porn in Hollywood this past weekend. But first, the honesty. Well, they're up to it again. You know, <laughs> I feel like we should call this segment Groundhog Day Discussion. I, know. I think we sort of agreed this week that maybe this part of the segment should just be called Trump is an a-hole. Well, just keeping tabs on these stories and not giving myself the luxury of ignoring them is beginning to really wear on me because I'm so in touch with just how much is going on against our community. We so wanted this to be the sparkle and excitement I know, segment, I know. But it's not working out like that. However, no. <laughs> we are determined yes. that we are not going to leave this segment without a little sparkle and excitement. No, there's always jush. some sparkle because it's gay. But, but we have to start with the Trump is an a-hole regular segment. And I know that's very fine journalistic parlance. I know. This one, though, I don't know, they all sort of take the cake as you got to be kidding me. Yeah, the, the title alone. The Commission on Unalienable Rights. The State Department mm-hmm. announced a new advisory panel to stress human rights in the context of quote, natural law. And that's where we go off the rail. The notice that was released this week says this commission that will be started to advise the Secretary of State on human rights issues in the context of, quote, natural law will provide fresh thinking about human rights discourse where such discourse has departed from our nation's founding principles of natural law and natural rights. Okay. Because natural law is where your ears go up because that is one of the darlings, that whole concept of the religious right. This is code. And this is also... they not very subtle code. It's not very subtle code. This where They're not talking scientific law. When I think no, natural no. law, because it makes sense. Let's just sort of do a little U.S. history here. Mm-hmm. A lot of our founding fathers were either deists or mm-hmm. influenced by deist thinking, which used this term natural law. And it was a very much an, an Enlightenment age way of thinking that was actually challenging conservative Christian thinking. It really was that there is a God. That was what they believed. But mm. pretty much you are given a rational mind to understand the world. And that was what natural law in that context meant. In other words, scientific inquiry right. was sort of part of this. This is not what these folks mean. We've gotten way far away from that now. Yeah. I mean, this is like natural as in God created man, woman, oceans, right. and sky. That's nature. Right. Natural law ends where science begins in this concept. It's total code for we don't want to recognize LGBTQ rights. We don't want to recognize that boys might be girls and girls might be boys and boys might want to marry each other and girls might want to marry nothing. Yeah, The whole thing is, once again, this is what Sharia law is. This is a religious viewpoint. This is not, quote, natural law. This is the opposite that they're talking about. Right, turning it over to Christian fundamentalists, well, evangelical Christian fundamentalists, and having them decide what is and is not natural, that that is not lawmaking. That mm-hmm. is theocracy. But they have really flipped the script on this because they are using these terms that oh, yeah. had a meaning that was very different. But mm-hmm. because they can tangentially make them related to the founding fathers and original ideas of this country, they can sort of give it that gloss. They get away with this. Well, it's like that that kerfuffle a few years back about teaching intelligent design in school. And on the face of it, the two words intelligent design, you think, well, what's wrong with that? Teach the debate. Exactly. And then you go into it and you realize now this is not science or teaching or this is just brainwashing. I mean, just to put this in context, natural law Mm -hmm. is a word that's been used to fight LGBTQ rights in all sorts of forms like focus Mm -hmm. on the family uses that Mm -hmm. term. For example, Cardinal Francis George of the Catholic Church in Chicago said that natural law was the basis that the church used to oppose LGBTQ rights. And they have a quote here. It's not in our doctrine. It's not a matter of faith. It's a matter of reason and understanding the way nature operates until nature and science say otherwise. Who's who's nature? Let's let's go back to the gay penguins at the zoo, shall we? (laughs) Reason, yeah. What's very interesting to me about this, too, is that 
there are already well-established principles about human rights. Right. The UN was established about this. The U.S. has, until very recently, been one of the movers and shakers in defining human rights and what we mean by this. This oh. is absolutely a way to limit human rights. We don't need this. Remember those days when the United States was a leader? Yeah. Well, we're leading the way going backwards <laughs> To the bottom. Now. Yeah. So very interesting that the former assistant secretary of state for human rights under W said that he doesn't know what the point of this commission is. So that was oh, like yeah. W's. And then the former assistant secretary of states for human rights under Obama said he was very sure that the point of this was not to expand human rights. Yeah. They're trying to get us. All right. So moving on in the <laughs> Trump is an a-hole. And- uh, adoption. Another evergreen topic around here at Honesty. Right. So uh, once again, they're trying to appeal an Obama era policy about allowing same sex adoption. Under Obama, discrimination against LGBTQI people in adoption and foster care was made officially illegal. And while it's officially illegal, I, I'll bet it still went on. Yeah, I'm sure it went on because anyway. it was policy. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, we have no federal protections like that. That's another story. The new policies being floated will allow, of course, our favorite topic, a religious exemption, a big, broadband religious exemption. They're either going to just withdraw the Obama policy of mm. anti-discrimination or they are going to just modify it quote, unquote, modify it with a religious exemption, which, as we have discussed ad nauseum, is the way that you completely subvert the rule to begin with. So they're probably going that way because they think it will survive a court challenge better. And they've been very explicit about that. And it seems if you want to find homes to children, closing homes is not the best way to go about it. This is, again, not pro-life. No. And not then pro-children. Believe it or not, Chick-fil-A and Trump do go together. Hand in hand. And we're talking Chick-fil-A again. <laughs> Can't get enough of that Chick-fil-A. So I guess the government, because uh, Chick-fil-A was shut out of the San Antonio International Airport. Buffalo, New York Airport. Buffalo, Niagara, too, also said no Chick-fil-A. So the federal government is going to probe the situation. They're very concerned. Because this this is where we put our focus. Yeah, because Chick-fil-A is noted for contributing to anti-LGBTQ causes. In the millions of dollars, a little while ago, we, we reported that they had actually tried to mend their ways, but not, no. not very They've effectively. actually backpedaled very yeah. quickly in the last couple of months, which we first talked to this. They're like, nope, we stand yeah. for what we stand for. They were denied a contract at the concessions of these two airports. So the State Department is looking into this. The Justice Department, excuse me, is mm-hmm. looking into this. Okay. I have to say, from a legal standpoint, I do think just the little bit that we've seen about this, there is potentially a First Amendment problem with mm. these denials of these contracts because who you give money to is theoretically your free speech right, no matter how disgusting and awful it is. But you by allowing right them in, that. though, don't you make the airport management complicit in your discrimination? Well, I think that's probably one of the arguments in response yeah. to that. But, I mean, there is a issue here. Mm. But the U.S. government does not need to be wading in here and taking a side on this. That is more problematic to me. If Chick-fil-A wanted to bring a First Amendment lawsuit, they could. They have the right. They always had the right. The difference is they can give money, again, this is my theory, not knowing all the specifics of this case, to whoever they want, as long as they are not discriminating in their employment practices or violating local ordinances or codes or, you know, local anti-discrimination laws. Right. And they're very big on coming out with statements about Chick-fil-A does not discriminate against anybody. And of course, they don't discriminate if you want to buy their product. And they don't discriminate in theory if you want to work there. But when they turn around and give their profits to anti-LGBTQ groups, you cannot help but think that is discrimination. You can call it free speech, but it is discrimination. It's an interesting, I would say it's a legal gray area that they may actually have a case depending on what the real specifics are here that they were denied a contract based on exercise of their Mm -hmm. free speech rights. Again, though, I am very concerned that the U.S. government is just wandering over to Texas to protect the honor of Chick-fil-A. And yeah, no. <laughs> Although I, I would think getting away from where they spend their profits, just on the basis of the fact, and this is another part of their ostentatious piety, they're closed on Sunday. So mm. the Chick-fil-A employees can spend time with their families. And I would think that alone, Could being closed on them. a Sunday in an airport, <laughs> that is a huge chunk of revenue that they are consciously 
Well, see, now that's another interesting, like, law school sample question, because then they could say, oh, well, we are being discriminated against based on our religious beliefs. They might actually have a claim for that. But that's where you realize that rights and responsibilities are complicated little beasts. I always have a saying, civil rights are bitch. Yeah. As well, they should be, because it's never clean and tidy. No one's rights are absolute. Mm -hmm. They always crash into each other. The way that we hear about these things in no way takes into account the fact that civil rights are complicated. Right. They're complicated. If you're there to generate revenue and you take a seventh of the week out of commission, I mean, if there were a restaurant that closed down five times a day for Muslim prayer, yeah. oh, the hue and cry we'd be hearing. Yes. Well, that's a really interesting argument. But just look at this, because they have their religious freedom rights, because mm-hmm. people do in this country. We do mm-hmm. have religious freedom rights. We don't need extra laws around this, folks. No. Anyway, we already do have them. They're in the First Amendment. You can look it up. But they could make that claim, well, you're denying us a contract based on our very sincerely held core religious principles. But you could also really understand exactly what you were just saying. The person offering the concession can say, we weren't trying to discriminate against anybody. We just need to make this thing pencil out. And those are the kinds of things that end up in front of the Supreme Court. Those are the real religious freedom issues. It's not this kind of fear mongering that the right is up to. That's really how that plays out is in a court. Next up, uh, it's in a way, it's sort of good news in that somebody else has an even crazier president than we do. Yes, and we're still putting this under the Trump is an a-hole banner because it's Trump adjacent, and I think this is one of Trump's besties. Cheek by jowl. Well, he's besties with the worsties. I love that. (laughs) We're talking about Rodrigo Duterte. The president of the Philippines. This is a funny little spin, and I will just love it if Trump tries to do something like this, but this is a head-scratcher. Please tweet, please tweet. Oh, please tweet. He said that he used to be gay. And this isn't the first time he said it. No, but that he's been cured. And then when he met his wife, who he is now... Divorced from. Or annulled. It was annulled because he had extracurricular marital... And they were only married for two years. When he met his wife, it made him a real man, and he is no longer gay. So, okay... (laughs) What's fascinating about this is that he's notoriously homophobic. Oh, yeah. But he sort of flirts with this, like, but I'm a gay, so Mm -hmm. I get to kind of be gay when I want to and not when I don't want to. Yeah, I'm I'm a reformed gay, so I have the right to discriminate against gays because I know that you can change. And then he accuses people left and right of being gay. Mm. He said very recently that a Philippine senator, one of his main critics, was gay and... He backed this up because (laughs) you can tell by how he moves. And if you're gay, you can really identify how he moves and tell that he's gay because I'm a gay and or I was a gay. And so I know how the gays move. Gay movements. But I cured myself. And he says, yeah, you can't get mad at me because I'm a gay. It's like Brazil. Oh, who Bolsonaro. votes for, the, who votes for Bolsonaro. these people? I know. Let's see if Bolsonaro comes out as an ex-gay, too. This yeah. might be the newest thing in horrific, despot I know. homophobes. Ex-gay dictators. He even joked that taking selfies with men might make you gay. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, it would turn him gay again. Yeah. Might actually because flip if, him. Because if somebody with a mustache smooches you, that skin contact will turn you. He even called the U.S. ambassador to the Philippines gay and a son of a whore. I think we can say that on air. It seems like people who are so anxious about gay people almost focus on nothing else. I know. They're but so... this is really yeah. a new one. It's yeah. like, not only am I obsessed with it, I actually am an ex-gay. So, I, very strange. There's our ray of sunshine. There's somebody worse But I want to know, would Trump do this? And will Trump take selfies with him? You know, I would believe that man would do anything because everything that comes out of the White House is so... Insane and upside down. And crazy. It's like, sure, why not? Trump announcing one day, I used to be gay, but I've cured myself. I can imagine that happening. So, again, we're doing good news here. Yeah, here it is. We have to do our good news here. And it's a little thing, but it does give me hope. And that is a church in Oregon, a Church of Christ in particular in Oregon. Clackamas United Church of Christ. And I think Church of Christ is not the most liberal group of people. I know there are various subgroups. There are so many sects when you get Protestantism. Yeah, I don't know. Don't quote me on anything. But in any case, a Church of Christ church Mm -hmm. 
in Oregon is getting a ton of attention and their congregation size is growing by leaps and bounds because of the positive, progressive and inclusive messages they've been putting on their billboards. And, you know, you drive around mm -hmm. and you see churches like, you know, All I was time. in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and there's a huge sign that says sin. It's nothing to be proud of. So, you know, it's usually messages like that. This pastor, Adam Erickson, is the new pastor for Clackamas United Church of Christ in actually Milwaukee, Oregon. I don't know where Milwaukee, Oregon is. I looked it up. Oh, you did? Where is it? Uh, it's just outside of Portland. Oh, okay. And fun fact, do you know who's from Clackamas County? Tanya Harding. Oh, I have some more fun facts about that. <laughs> My family used to own the ice skating rink that she trained on. The one of the shopping mall? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. We've got so much to talk about after I know, this. I know. I can't believe I put that on the air. Anyway. So Pastor Adam Erickson took over the church last year, and he decided that the best way to build the congregation was to be really open about their politics. Mm -hmm. And he said, people are thirsty to know they are loved. In every area, there are pockets thirsting for this message of radical inclusion. And so it's really making me think, especially in light of the Methodist church oh, right. controversy that we reported on a few months ago about how they are really going through a growing period where most Methodists are demanding inclusion. Right. I, and, it, and it might split the church. It might split the church. Because we need another Christian sect. We do need Christians speaking up. Right. Because most Christians, I believe, really do believe the what would Jesus do stuff, which... I don't know. The bit I know about Jesus is he probably wouldn't be all judgy and no. hostile and homophobic. Well, and this man is very good about his signs because when I see the ones like you saw in Gatlinburg, I always feel there is a central Christian sign generator because they're clever, but they're not too clever. But they're you know that the pastor probably did not make that up. So this guy is this making guy them all up. This guy knows his signs. He does. He and knows his church because signs. Because you research. I, I bet you got some of the examples I've got some down. of them here. <laughs> Funny that. And you can look up the Clackamas United Church of Christ on Facebook and see yeah. the signs. Oh, and I good. mean, he's got tons of them. Our transgender siblings have heartbeats. That is a reference to the heartbeat bills yes. that we talked about recently. LGBTQ welcome here. Duh. I love this one. Just love people. I will sort it out later. Signed, God. National emergency. 7,100 hate crimes in 2017. No joke. Nope. Welcome immigrants, but only if they speak English. Said Jesus never. <laughs> Jesus believed in universal health care. So do we. And I loved this one. Harriet Tubman deserves to be on the $20 bill and white supremacy. I guess they've gotten tons of support and yeah. actually not a lot of criticism now. No. They are outside of Portland. But Oregon is not just a green granola state. My sister no, lives it in, is in eastern Oregon. It's very, very conservative. Yeah. But I just really like that this guy is sort of hitting this one head on. He yeah. said for him, Christianity is fundamentally political, as it is for so many right-wing conservative Christians. As and, long as you're not endorsing a particular candidate, that yeah. is also completely legal in our tax code. And he gets a picture of himself by the new sign every week. He totally owns it. He's not pretending that somebody else is behind it, which no. is so nice. No, it's like little selfies yeah. of him with his new sign and yeah. his new cute little slogan. Yeah. I love this stuff. Okay, so a last somewhat surreal bit of news. This falls into the bless their heart category. <laughs> yeah. That you is know. actually what I wrote on my notes, too. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I stole it from you. No. <laughs> no, you and I were thinking the same way. But it is. It's Listerine has come out with a pride bottle. So this is another segment I think we need to work on is the newest intersection of pride and capitalism every week. It used to be that there was so little of it that anytime you saw a pride-themed product, so you go, oh, yay. But now there's... There's maybe a little bit too much. <laughs> this is just standard Listerine. Yeah. So, like, you don't pay extra for the pride. No. But they got a few things wrong. They wrapped the bottle in actually the original eight-stripe rainbow flag, although, as we know from Fairy Argyle Rainbow, one of the lead right. people, there's some controversy about the history of the stripes. Yeah, there were actually seven stripes on that okay. bottle, so I don't know where well, it came okay. from, because that was in the article, too. They tried. Yeah. They tried, and then they added... The meanings of the colors, which actually were not in the original flag, right. but a few years later, Gilbert Baker ascribed some meanings to them. But they got those wrong. So they left off the meaning of pink for one, and that one right. is sex. So they didn't put sex on the Listerine bottle. And they also got turquoise wrong because I guess it originally represented mm -hmm. magic because that was the 70s. But they wrote peace. Mm -hmm. So the earnestness of this got 
absolutely excoriated online, but in such a fun way. So one person posted under a picture of dozens of Pride-themed body care products. Mm -hmm. They said, at last I can wash my gay hair and rinse my gay mouth while feeling truly seen. This was a American horror story reference. Only the gay who has mastered all seven of these Listerine spirits shall be our next Supreme. <laughs> or Well, and the, and the font they chose. Oh. The font is like something you would find. The font was the worst problem of all. Yeah, on some sort of inspirational note. Card. Someone called it the live, laugh, love font. Yeah. And then someone else said, this isn't for gays. It's for P-flag moms. And, and it is It is. A it very really mom looks font. like that. It's a mom font. It's, if you saw it on a, on, a, on a birthday card that says you're the best mother ever, it's that font. It's right next to Comic Sans. Yeah. <laughs> you bless so, their hearts, Listerine. Yeah, but I'll tell you, you get it wrong. We appreciate the effort, but boy, you get it wrong. Our community is not short of quips. No. We're a quippy tribe. <laughs> that is our defense. That is our pride, in fact. And that concludes this week's Honesty. No quips? I got no quips. The documentary Gay Chorus Deep South confronts a resurgence of faith-based anti-LGBTQ laws brought about by the Trump era. In it, 300 singers of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus take a bus tour of the Deep South. In this week's TTV, Talk to Vosh, Vosh Bodhi meets the filmmakers on the red carpet at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City. This is Vosh Bodhi with another TTV, Talk to Vosh. Today, I am at the Tribeca Film Festival on the red carpet to speak with the creative team behind Gay Chorus Deep South, a documentary which shows how a little courage and a lot of music can change the hearts and minds of many. I start with the film's director, David Charles Rodriguez. Hi, David. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing great. Congratulations on the film. Why did you decide to do this film? I was really looking for a story that could help deal with the divisiveness that the country's facing right now, and there's nothing more powerful than music to do that. So when I learned about the tour that the chorus was having in the southern states of America, I thought that could be the most beautiful way to use entertainment to really touch people's hearts and to really prove that we're actually not that divided after all. This film is about love. What was the most surprising place that you found love in making this film? At a Southern Baptist church in Greenville, South Carolina. It was the first time ever in history that a gay chorus performed at a Southern Baptist church. And what happened, you guys will have to see in the film. <laughs> and this film is also about having really difficult conversations. How were you able to get people to have some of these difficult conversations? I learned, especially making this film and, and working with the chorus, that the best way to be heard is if you listen. So we went there with open hearts and an open mind, and we listened to everyone. I even interviewed every single protester that was at the performances, and I spoke to them and, and, and treated them as human beings because that's what we all are. And in the end, we all want the same things, which are family, togetherness, and a place that we can all belong. If you could summarize this film with a hashtag, what would it be? Y'all means all. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Have a great time tonight. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? I'm Tim Seelig. I'm the artistic director of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. I'm Chris Verdugo. I am the executive director of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. What was it like being on tour for this project? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it was life-changing, really, and, and we used that probably way too much. This really was. We went from San Francisco to the South thinking one thing, and we came back with a completely different idea. That's remarkable. So what was your favorite song that you guys sang while on tour? I think my favorite song was a Holly Near piece that is, I ain't afraid of your churches, your Jesus, or your Bible. I'm afraid of what you do in the name of your God. That's a very long title for a song, but I'm sure... <laughs> I'll give you the title, I Ain't Afraid. What did you find was the most impactful song? You know, the one that, that was most impactful was uh, More Friends Than You Know. It was because we sang to a lot of youth and a lot of people that feel very alone in the South. And that told them that it's not just us, but if you look around, you'll find the friends that you need. And you? Truly Brave. It's a mashup of True Colors and Brave. And it's really inspiring. It just swells to this moment that it touches something in your core. And it touches you every single time you hear the song. It's just such an anthem about really standing up and being who you are, being your authentic self, being courageous, being brave, and knowing that you were loved for that. I think the two songs go a little hand in hand, actually. This film is also about love. Where was the most surprising place that you found love? I would say it had to be Greenville, South Carolina, at the First Baptist Church of Greenville, South Carolina, which is really the, the, the ultimate moment in the film. 
you know, I want to add this sort of, on one of the pre-trips, uh, we met with a police department from Knoxville who was also doing our security. And this moment isn't in the film, but we had a rather contentious moment with uh, their, their, uh, one of their police members. Um, and he said something to the effect of, we really don't care what you all think about us in California. And so that really kind of started this anxiety between us. And I didn't know if we had chosen the right company to come with us on tour. Halfway through the tour, he comes up to me uh, and he says, I have invited my entire family to the concert tonight after seeing what you have done the past four days on the road. And that's how change happens, just by showing up and showing people why, why we're really here and opening your hearts. And for me, like that was a moment that sort of just coalesced everything we had been working on was to go, here's the transformation right before my eyes. So if you could summarize the movie in a hashtag, what would it be? Go see it. That's the short hashtag. And just let it Im immerse yourself in it and the stories that are told and enjoy the music, but mostly the stories. Um, yeah, that's my hashtag. Go see it. I can't add to hashtag go see it. <laughs> hashtag go love it. Perfect, you guys. Hey, Rocket Man. How are you? I'm good. So I'm talking to Lance Bass. What brings you out here tonight? To support this uh, film festival and the Gay Man's Chorus. You know, I think it's so incredible what they do. The messaging that they bring to all these towns that need to see these guys is, is inspiring. You know, as a, a little kid from Mississippi, I would have loved to have seen that growing up. Well, when you came out, it was a very, very big deal. There was a generation of people that all of a sudden had to be confronted with the fact that someone that they loved was gay. Have you felt that impact? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have felt that impact. Uh, when I came out, it was a different time. It was very scary and, and a career killer. Um, but I just couldn't hold it in anymore. So. You know, I, I just threw my hands up and I was like, what, whatever happens, happens. But it went very positive uh, when I came out and the support I got and, and to see a younger generation feel comfortable enough to say, oh my gosh, you know what, I'm gay too, just because I influenced that, you know, with my story. So, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible. And if I can help just one person out there love themselves a little more, I'm happy. This film is about love. During your coming out process, where was the surprising place that you found love and acceptance? Oh, uh, good question. I mean, the surprising one was the entertainment industry. Um, you know, it's you know, there's a lot of gay community in the entertainment industry, but it's still very homophobic, like ridiculously homophobic, and especially music. So I think I was most surprised by the industry really having my back. Um, the Jay Leno's of the world, you know, not making fun of it, making it a positive story. You know, I thought the comedians were going to have a field day with it, but they actually made the story positive so that they could influence, a, you know, some young kids out there to become themselves. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you very much. You have a really wonderful night. It's really a pleasure to meet you. This is Vosh Bodhi, and you have been listening to David Charles Rodriguez, Tim Selig, Chris Verdugo, and special guest Lance Bass talking about the documentary Gay Chorus Deep South and our journey towards love, unity, and equality for all. To find out how you can see Gay Chorus Deep South, visit gaychorusdeepsouth.com. Remember, if you have a story to tell, TTV. Talk to Vosh. After the break, we ask Florian Klein, adult performer turned musical librettist, what's your story? Stick around, we'll be right back. On land and at sea, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. In the animal kingdom, not only has same-sex pair bonding and sexual activity been recorded on land, but at sea as well, with bottlenose dolphins, harbor seals, West Indian manatees, and gray whales. Homosexual interactions are an integral part of male gray whales, often during their northward summer migration. Two males, and sometimes a few more, begin by rolling around each other and onto their sides with much splashing around and flailing of fins. Gray whales also form same-sex companionships and travel and feed together, swimming side by side with side fins touching. Synchronized blowing and diving maneuvers are common, with acrobatic leaps two-thirds out of the water. These companionships occur for only a few hours or days, while others endure for years. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios of WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, Tom Miller. 
This is Isabel Davis, producer of the documentary XY Chelsea. You are listening to IMRU Radio on KPFK. 98.7 FM Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM San Diego, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 99.5 FM Ridgecrest and China Lake. And when you're not near a radio, you can stream us live at kpfk.org or on podcast. Welcome back. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Wenzel Jones, and you're listening to IMRU Radio. Here at IMRU, we often encore classic interviews from the past, usually the distant past, not usually from just earlier in the month. But our conversation with Florian Klein is worth the early revisit, especially since his new musical, Shooting Star, just opened to acclaim at the Hudson Theater in Hollywood. And it all began with Florian Klein, What's Your Story? Our next guest, Florian Klein, a.k.a. Hans Berlin, is both an iconic gay adult film performer and the producer and writer of a new musical opening in Hollywood called, appropriately, Shooting Star. So, Florian Klein, what's your story? Um, Hi, I'm Florian (laughs) Klein. I'm here to promote my show, a musical love story set in the world of gay porn. And this is semi-autobiographical, somewhat autobiographical, or just totally out of your own? Uh, It is very semi-autobiographical. By the way, I'm originally from Germany, so excuse the sometimes when I sound a little bit like the ex-governator. That's what we love. (laughs) Oh, no, that that goes over well in California, if you haven't noticed. Because I actually lived here when uh, Arnold was, uh, I wanted to say president, No, we haven't gotten that far yet. Uh, When he was governor. So Shooting Star is based a lot on on my own experiences. The major difference is that I'm going to be 47 this year. And my protagonist is in his early 20s Mm because I also wanted to make it a coming of age story. But besides that, it is is based on my own experiences. I lived in L.A. from 2006 to 2013. And I was trying to make it as an actor. I wanted to become the German Brad Pitt. Um, I went to acting school in New York after working in the entertainment industry in Germany before and after finished a program in New York as I said came to LA I did a lot of catering I did some auditioning I booked some parts I had to play the Nazi twice of course that's the with the German um, I was a I was a English butler on Joan and Melissa Joan Knows Best the oh, yeah, Joan yeah, Rivers yeah. show because actually she was one of my catering clients and uh, and Melissa as well and then for that for one of the episodes uh, when Perez Hilton came for tea mm-hmm. I was the British Butler. So far, this sounds like the standard actor in Hollywood story with the catering, the small parts. How did you make the leap into, as they say, adult performing? You did not want to say the P word. Porn. Okay, porn. <laughs> right. Well, because after after uh, a few years of catering, where I was working for the stars, I think the universe always got me wrong. I wanted to work with the stars. So at some point, I was fed up, and I hooked up with a couple that was dancing at Mickey's in West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, uh, you can make a lot of money as a dancer. And I've only known, like, go-go dancing from tipping guys. Right. The first time, actually, that i ever seen American go-go dancing, because we don't have that in Germany, was the movie Trick, if you remember that that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that was the first time. So I thought, okay, why not? If somebody wants to see me in my underwear, because as I said, I was already in my late 30s at that time. I was like, okay, if somebody wants to see me in my underwear. So I started go-go dancing and it became at Mickey's at first. And then I was dancing all over um, LA. And then I was dancing in San Francisco in North in uh, New Orleans. And what I didn't know is that a lot of these guys that I was dancing with, they were in porn. So I remember I was dancing at, at Fault Line once and I looked at the screen and they were showing porn there. I was like, wait, this is you up there in porn. <laughs> and uh, at that time, because I said it was around 2010, 2011, that's when a lot of porn was still shot in L.A. There were recruiters and someone asked me and exactly like in my show, do you want to do porn? Like you're hot. And I said, no, I'm an actor. I can't do that. Well, now, L.A. has a reputation for being very youth obsessed. And I would think gay porn would even be more youth obsessed. And yet you were already in your 30s when you started? In my late 30s. It was like it was in 2012 when I finally then gave in and realized I don't have an acting career that I can destroy. Um, And that was like shortly before I turned 40. I did not think you had crossed the great 40 Rubicon (laughs) looking at you. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the porn business keeps you young. (laughs) Yes, it does. I mean, so do you go straight into daddy roles or Um, that is such an awkward age? I still call myself an uncle. 
Like I don't see myself as a, as a daddy yet, but H Y is yes. But that is the nice thing about the internet is uh, a lot of people always say like internet kills porn, it kills the industry. Uh, but on the other hand, it also it also creates platforms for every kind of fetish that that is out there, and the the daddy fetish is definitely a thing. So I'm shooting more and more daddy scenes now because I'm still in the industry. So I'm writing about the industry, or I wrote about the industry, and presenting this musical about the industry. But I'm still part of the industry. I feel like nowadays you can actually do porn as long as you want to, as long as there's an audience. Is there an audience for everything? Uh, I think so. I believe so. Which I think is, on on, on the other hand, really great. Because when I started watching gay porn, it was all Falcon. I love those Falcon movies, but they all look the same. And I feel like now with the internet, you have alternative dudes. You have the daddies. You have the bears. You have the hairy ones. So the otters. I'm not so much into foot fetish, but I shot a couple of foot fetish scenes. And what I also thought was very interesting was tickling. Like you get get suspended. uh, Right? Suspended? Right. Yeah. Uh, And then they tickle you and it's it's a little bit like about domination so very interesting and not fun i'm sorry but that's a whole conversation i realized about me that i was tickling. not that i realized that i'm actually not that ticklish oh, so maybe so, you're good for this then well you, that's what the acting that's where four years of acting training came <laughs> in and i had to pretend like yeah i am ticklish and this is really painful <laughs> I've completely forgotten the question. Because you know, the tickling, is, the tickling know, totally the, threw you off. Is, and the tickling is not part of the shooting star, but we're going to learn, we're going to spill some beans about the porn industry, what happens behind uh, behind the cameras. And uh, we focus on the, on the people of the adult film world because that was one of the things that was important for me when I started doing porn. I had the same misconception that I have to have sex with everyone. We're all on drugs and it's just a, a big f- fest. Sorry, I said the F word. Oh, we can, we can bleep you. Oh, yes. And then I started shooting porn and all of a sudden I was like, wow, this is this is like a Hollywood film set. I'm there. I'm signing my paperwork. Time is money. Um, the quicker you work, the quicker the, the product is done. You're not here to have fun. You're really here to have uh, to work. And the more disciplined you are, the easier to you're to work with, the more bookings you get. I shot my first scene in July 2012. It's now 2019. So I've been working in the adult film industry for seven years now. The play, the musical, Shooting Star, you really wanted to feature these people that people don't think about and don't see. So without giving too much away, give us an example of one of those stories or one of those people that we don't know about. Yeah. Well, one of the characters is based on Mr. Pam. And Mr. Pam, a real woman, she is a uh, real-life director. And when she started uh, working for Falcon, they didn't want the gay audience to know that a woman was editing their Mm. porn. So they put a Mr. in front of her name, Pam, and everybody thought she looked like Bruce Lee. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so, apparently there is a huge female audience right, for gay porn. That, that too. But as I said, for the gays at that at that time, like they didn't want to make it known that it was a woman. So Mr. Pam, they, everybody thought she was she was a man. And one of the characters, Mr. Sue, is obviously uh, based on her. Mr. Pam is, is a Caucasian woman. We, we cast Carol, an African-American woman. But the great thing about Mr. Pam is she's a porn director. She now does a lot of social media. So if you if you Google her, like she's all over the place, um, hosting award shows, but she's also the gay porn mama hen, like she's the mother hen of all of her little babies. And that's also her in the in the show. She's also the hostess of the Black Rooster, a fictional LA club where all the porn stars and their admirers hang out. And that's where Taylor starts dancing. And Taylor's and the star. Taylor's the star, my alter ego. I call him mini me because I said he is yeah over 20 years younger than I am. Now, I I have seen more than a few projects where uh, an adult film star is on the stage, and generally it's an excuse to get the film star out of their clothes within the first 10 minutes so people can say, yes, I saw it live. What made you decide to be behind the scenes? but without actually being on the stage yourself. Because for me, it was really the human aspect. I wanted to humanify. Is that a word? Humanify? No. Yeah. Humanize. Humanize. Yeah. That's the word. I like humanify. It <laughs> works. Humanize. I've been saying that word so often that I totally forgot about it. To humanize the adult film industry. So really to focus on these, on the performers and to remind people that these are real people uh, in front of the camera and even also behind the camera who also see this as a job. And the main thing is even... Uh, though we have the the Me Too movement and uh, 
some politicians that had some um, outer marital, marital, how do you say that? Extramarital. Yeah, extramarital uh, affairs. Still, if you work as a sex worker, there's a lot of judgment from society and, and people think as that we're bad people. Uh, we're, we're, we're sex-craved zombies. We all have a drug addiction. And a lot of people always see us as victims that we didn't have a choice. I had a choice. I chose to do this. I chose to get into the industry because I saw that it is not as bad as I thought it would be. And I I wanted to become successful. I wanted to become a star, and I became a star in a different universe. Well, do you think, though, that your experience was more positive because you got into it as an adult and you knew what you wanted, whereas if you'd gone in at, say, the age of 19, you might have had wild misconceptions about what was possible. Very true, and we also, because uh, Shooting Star is not a commercial about, hey, porn is great and there are no no problems. Um, I have the younger kid who got into the porn industry too early and he has a drug problem. In the show, his name is JR. But then again, if you look at the, in, in the music industry, if you look to Hollywood, isn't it the same thing? I mean, look, but Whitney Houston, an artist that achieved everything that I always wanted to achieve as an artist. And while I was still following my acting dream, dream, she drowned in a bathtub while I was catering a Grammy party. And then Michael Jackson passed away. But the same thing, he got into the industry, into the mainstream industry too early. I want to take away from that, oh, the porn industry. It's like there's suicides and you get into the industry too early and, and it, it might screw you up. I want to get away from that with the show. So the show has not opened yet. No, it's... we opened May 25th. Okay. Yes. And, yes. and we're going to come back to all the 411. But have people in your business business come to see it or share this? And I'm just wondering what their response is. So we, we had two presentations in October of last year also to get to get the funding because I did not just write it. I'm also the executive producer. Like I got all the funding for the show together because some producers were a little scared. So I invited people from the industry and the CEO of Falcon came. Tim Valenti, he loved it. Uh, he's one of our biggest sponsors for the show. And one of my, my most beautiful moment was that Mr. Pam was there to meet Mr. Sue, and she was there and she cried her eyes out. Shooting Star takes you on a ride, as one of our patrons said, it takes you on a ride from innocence to curiosity to heartbreak, death, and a hopeful future. So you go on this roller coaster. So it's a ride. musical. Yes, so it's a musical, yes. But it's not a campy and corny porn musical where you see dancing dildos. We show you a lot of heart. And we focus on the love because ultimately it's a love story set in the world of gay porn. I also don't want to call it a gay love story. It's a love story because love is love. But why a musical at all? Uh, I'm gay. <laughs> so I thought musical would be an amazing platform because I don't know, sometimes I want to stop in my everyday life and just break out into song and musicals are giving you the chance to do that. This is Abby Dees and we're talking with Florian Klein, a.k.a. adult film star Hans Berlin. You also are very committed to doing awareness work around HIV and yeah. uh, sexually transmitted diseases and infections. Talk a bit about that. Porn for me has been one of the best decisions that I've ever made. As I said, I never wanted to go to porn because of the judgment. It took me several years to tell my parents. My parents are, are okay with it. They love me the way that, that I am. Porn also gave me a voice to talk about my own HIV infection. People always say, like, did you get it when you were doing porn? It's like, no, no. So I contracted HIV in 2000. And um, it was definitely something that was there. Like, I was never sick. I never had AIDS. But it, it definitely it confronts you with, your, with your mortality. So on one hand, the way the person that I am today is thanks to HIV. It's thanks to contracting the virus because I live my life more extreme, but extreme that you really utilize this time that we have because then you realize we only have a limited amount of time on this planet. On the other hand, I had a problem with it. I didn't have a relationship for a long time. I thought maybe it was unlovable because of that. And uh, in the last few years, thanks to PrEP, thanks to the knowledge of U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable, so that someone like me can't give the virus to anyone anymore because uh, thanks to my medication, there's so very little virus left in my blood. Thanks to my friend Bruce Richmond, who started the U equals U campaign, the prevention access campaign. The CDC also put it on their website. If you go on Grinder and it says uh, undetectable, what does it mean? Grinder also tells you there's no transmission. So porn gave me a voice to uh, talk about that, to be part of HIV activism. 
In 2014, when I told my parents about my porn world, I also told them for the first time that I was HIV positive. I think I had the good son syndrome. So I kept it from my parents for 13 years because I didn't want them to worry. And when I told them, my mom said, gosh, this is always a very emotional uh, part. My mom said she was just sad that I did not believe in the family. And my dad said, we, we love you. And, and no matter what, like even with the porn, it's like nothing changed. And I realized, as someone said, just by speaking the truth, you help other people. Because when I started talking about it and was more open about my own HIV infection, people were listening and said, like, you know, there's only like one or two people who know about my HIV infections. I wish I wish I was like you. And I, I felt like I can become a role model and do something that I always wanted to do is change the world. And Scientology, unfortunately, picked it up. But they said change one life, change the world. But that's my, my mission. And I, I've been working in Germany a lot with the I Know What I Do campaign for the German AIDS Foundation. I'm the role model for U equals U slash uh, treatment as prevention. And uh, I do speeches in Germany. Of course, they always say the porn star comes to town and he's going to spill some beans about porn. Um, but then as I said, I talk about my HIV infection and, and how I dealt with it. And also with porn, the more open I am about something, the less people talk behind my back. Like the when I had a problem with my HIV infection, other people had problems with that. Mm -hmm. And well, it seems like shame is what gives it the power. Yeah. And once you lose that shame, it has no power over yeah. you anymore. Yeah. And as I said, I'm not ashamed that I do porn. Of course, like sometimes I go out and and you think, do they see me uh, or do they see the porn star? Dating for me has been difficult, but I don't know why. For some people, it just doesn't happen to find that significant other. I'm currently married to my to my musical because I'm, I'm saying this because Taylor, my, my protagonist, he is looking for love. He falls in love with his first scene partner. And it also shows how difficult it can be when you're in the porn world and, and you want to date because you have constantly sex with other people. As I said, I don't want to give too much away, but that's what makes it a love story. And uh, there's there's one song which is a little bit uh, autobiographical as well in the show is where Taylor sings, uh, I always end up alone, where's the love and all the lovers I've known. So with everyone that he had sex with, they wish there was a connection. And, and he says like, would have been nice if the other guy would have given me some more, but was I willing to give more? And I feel like Shooting Star, even though it takes place in the porn world, even though our lovers are two men, it deals with so many subject matters that a general audience can relate to. So is this the beginning of a new chapter in your career? I mean, do you see, oh, chapter two, I going to bring in more dancers? Well, as I said, I always wanted to be an actor. I always wanted to act in a musical. And now I have all of these amazing professional actors who sing beautifully. And I'm super okay with just sitting in the background and watching the audience and see how they react to it. So yes, I, I think I still have that gay boy thing in me where I finally want to find something that tells me I'm good and I've achieved something in my life. And I think that or it looks like that writing is really the one thing that I'm good at, that I'm really good at. What is it like to have in your mind the notion, I want to do a musical when you're not writing the music, though? Because it's so intrinsic and yet so, so important. How do you find the music to go with your vision? I was uh, a composer shopping, more or less, and I talked to people about this project. And that's also one of the things, as a modern-day immigrant, I love my country, I love Germany. But what I love about here in the United States, especially New York and L.A., you have a crazy idea, you always find people that say, oh, that sounds good, like, work, work on it. The Germans are like, no, don't do it, you're going to fail. You're going to waste a lot of money. You're going to fail. And if you fail, then I'm going to say, I told you so. So here I met amazing people. I met composers that said, like, oh, I want to write some music for it. I didn't find the right composer. And then I had one of my first readings actually in Berlin, Germany. And I found a German. I found Thomas Zaufke, who was in the audience when I had my first public reading in uh, February of 2015. And Thomas is a well-known German composer. He was in the audience. I got to say, at first, I was a little cocky. I was like, no, you know, I'm going to go back to New York and I want to have a Broadway composer. And then he wrote the first song, which is now called Those Golden Days, that my older porn star, James Grant, sings about the good old days of porn because his career is done. It's going down the drain. It's his Norma Desmond moment, as I call it. And Thomas wrote the, the music to that. And I was like, wow, yeah, I want you to be my composer. I'm super happy that I chose him. So, so at that first reading in Berlin, you actually would read, 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 and then say, and then the song goes, 
his right. ear. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I did write all the lyrics um, myself. Like I took uh, songs that already existed and wrote new lyrics to that and was hoping that I'm uh, a genius and I'm going to find a composer who's just going to write new mu music to, to those lyrics that I had already written without me telling him what I wrote the song, like what the original song was. And Thomas said, you know, this is one of the things, because he added it in syllable here, and it just doesn't work. Like, you should get a professional lyricist. So 2015, I went back to uh, New York, and I found Eric Ransom, who's very successful also with his own musicals. He just won Best Off West End Musical in London for Grinder the Opera. Oh. Yes. And uh, he came in as the lyricist, and uh, he looked at uh, the lyrics that I had already written and rewrote them and kept the concepts that I had, and it all became an amazing collaboration. Like, I don't know if I can say that, but I call him the, the lyric Nazi because mm -hmm. he's he's so perfect. Like, everything rhymes perfectly. Because I did a couple of pop rhymes. It was like, hello, is it me you're looking for? <laughs> yeah. So I realized... I can't do everything by myself. Musical theater, theater is a collaboration of many, many, many people. Also Michael Bello, my director, who was also assistant directing uh, Donna Summer musical. Right. And I have Jim Cooney with me, our choreographer. And I went to rehearsals yesterday. We had a first run through for all the designers, sound designer, costume designer. And I saw it and I was like, wow, this came out of my head. We actually have a real musical. It's dancing and singing and... This wonderful group of people, mm -hmm. did the actors or the people that showed up sort of think, wait, a porn star is in charge of this? I mean, did did you see them have to go through a process of taking this project seriously and buying in? Once again, I have to say, I think that's one of the differences between Germany and uh, the U.S. is that here I feel people see... Florian worked so hard to get this on stage, to put this together. Um, he's also investing all the, the money, getting investors. I never had once the feeling that they did not have respect and, and that they treated me different. One of my actresses said, oh, you know, I did a lot of research uh, on you. Like, you look much cuter in person. She was the only one of all my actors who actually said they that she all was watching researched. my porn, but they probably yeah. they all did. They all researched. I just want to say, but I feel we like, did. But I feel... <laughs> I love my country. I really love my country. But in Germany, I feel sometimes it's like, oh, you did not learn how to write a musical. Why do you think now you can be the producer and the writer, creator of a musical? So as I said, it's it's different here. And I have this amazing team and they listen to me and... It's beautiful. This almost sounds like it's going to become your second musical. Struggling actor comes to L.A., goes through the porn industry, and becomes a Hollywood producer. <laughs> and mean, then the musical story about that. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that story alone is amazing. I remember uh, when I was living here, I had never thought that I'm going to be writing a musical and that I'm going to be doing radio interviews and, and people are interested. And Ra Raquel Lerman of the Theater Plan is my producer and general manager. She said, we're selling so many tickets al already. So I think it shows you once again, you never know where life is going to go. And if you're open to possibilities, then uh, life can be an amazing adventure. So what if people need to know? Right. The specifics here. So we're going to open at the Hudson Theater on Hollywood's nice little theater lane, May 25th. And we're going to run until June 30th. We have two previews on May 23rd and May 24th. And then we're going to run Friday, Saturday and Sunday, Friday, Saturday at 8 p.m., Sunday at 3 p.m. And you can get the ticket at www.onstage411.com slash star. Well, thank you so much for coming by and talking to us. And I wonder, do you have any words of advice for the struggling young performer out there in Hollywood today? Who or was not once young. You were... <laughs> right, yeah. or not, or not, not young. young. Believe in yourself, and there's nothing wrong when you pivot your dreams. Or with pivoting your dreams. No, I like nothing wrong when you pivot your dreams. Yeah. I like it. Florian Klein, a.k.a. Hans Berlin, thanks so much. Okay, that's it for tonight. Our thanks to IMRU's executive producer, Steve Pride, Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns, and our tireless director of podcast distribution, Vash Bodhi. Find us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio. If you're interested in volunteering with IMRU to help make the magic happen, email volunteer at imruradio.org. Also, catch us at iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Stitcher, Anchor.fm, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Good, Good night. night.